You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom Bracha, I'm Aprom Kivalevich, and this is On Principle with Rabbi Soscher Katz. Rabbi Soscher, it's been a long time. You were my third guest on our show, and can you believe it? It was five months ago, March 20th. I looked it up just uh, last night. And here we are. (laughs) Now, of course, if you remember, the subtitle of all our uh, podcasts are Challenges in Jewish Education. So, Ravi Susker, first, before we get started from five months later, I just want to read you the the description that I wrote five months ago. And and people who can, can listen back to that to that episode. And at that time, we, it, was, it was somewhat new. We were both uh, functioning with Zoom primarily and getting used to it and, and, and exchanging notes about how it was working and who was listening and whether we're going to let more people in. And one of the things, of course, that you said that, that gave me some hope and gave many people hope was that the fact that this technology is becoming so widespread, the fact that everybody was adopting it and accepting it, and it was having such a strong role in Torah and Avodah, or Torah and Avodah, might be an indicator, along with the other more ominous, ominous portents of the dawning of a messianic age. And of course, that was that was the right before Chodesh Nissan, and we were thinking about, yeah, Taka, this might be all great simonim of the Gula. Okay, it's five months later. We've all been sitting here staring in front of our screens. You've been teaching. I've been teaching in a lesser way, perhaps. We've all been teaching and, 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 and being machanich and using things and, and thinking about this medium, the medium that I'm staring at you in your, in your, at your home and you're looking at me. So let's update five months later and let's hear some of your thoughts again about this topic and maybe let's expand it even a little bit and, and, and see. So 2.0, as they say, Yisoskar Katz, right. 2.0. Right. So go ahead, please. Yeah, so first of all, Rabbi Avram, uh, for giving me uh, this opportunity. We always know the rule is that if you invite someone once, uh, it doesn't mean <laughs> anything. But if you invite her back, then it, it's evidence that uh, you made a good impression. So I'm happy to be here uh, again. Um, so first, in terms of the update, um, if, you, if I remember correctly, I was rather um, gushing about the experience of teaching in Zoom. Uh, it felt like it was a new medium. Um, as a chassid, I also felt that uh, there's an opportunity to bring, you know, the notion of dira b'tachtonim in a new venue, bring Yakadish right. bring Kedusha in a new place. And it also worked well with the students. Uh, some of the students rep- responded to it. And I guess the novelty created a level of intimacy. Um, I think going forward, five months later, um, obviously the novelty has worn off a little bit. Um, there still is a element of excitement for me, an element of enthusiasm, an element of um, opportunity. Um, here's like I, like I said before, here's a medium that has not yet kind of um, been um, incorporated into limited Torah and and Hashem, um, and now we're doing it. But like every um, Everything else, and Hasidus uh, the Tchila is gone. Uh, we're now in the middle stage, perhaps, uh, you know, for the long durée, as they say. Um, but it's still been going very well. Still going very well. Um, in, when I spoke to you last time, uh, I was mostly describing uh, my shiurim with my students at the yeshiva. I also give a shiur once a week for Balapatim. 
um, and that's also been on Zoom. There have been quite a few um, technical glitches, which kind of, I think, happen to frustrate people somewhat more than in the kind of uh, real world. Uh, but at the same time, once the glitches uh, got ironed on, there is actually an enthusiasm that we've mastered another venue, and it's been going well. It's been going very well. Yeah, I, just, I would just say again, since we do share uh, similar experiences, I would say that one of the things that I think, I don't know if we mentioned it last time, was that, of course, there's a limit uh, to the type of interaction that your students can give you. Uh, they can, you can see the hand raise and you can see the note. And, and sometimes, of course, they'll unmute themselves to make a point. But I, I do see that there is a hesitancy to to be involved. There's a, there's a holding back of a restraint, which creates a different dynamic of teaching. Um, and, 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 and I think there's also, even from the teacher and psychologists and others have, have, have zeroed in on this. Many times when I'm giving a class, and I'm sure you're the same way, uh, great teachers in the past also, not that we're great, but I've also, you, you, you walk around, you look out the window, and then you give a stare, and then you look back. Um, there's, there's light intensity that are then enhanced by, and now you look at the students. You're able, in a way, there's a certain uh, difference, whereas here in Zoom, you're looking into, especially if you can see yourself in the little box, you are looking constantly into the uh, into the camera and therefore it, it, it's hard to navigate. It's hard to, to modulate your, your responses. So you have the students, I believe in a way restrained the, the, the teacher on the other hand, almost has to keep a certain level of intensity, which usually doesn't happen. And, and I find that the, what you say, navigating coming up with ACEs, for example, I'm sure you do the same thing. Okay, now there's going to be the time for questions. Thinking in advance or having a, a gut sense, when is it time to open things up? When do I stop talking? And when do we now have people being involved? Which it, it takes a little more chokhmah than it used to, I believe. I don't know if you share that with me. Uh, that's, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I think I think what you're referring to is basically, you know, um, the fact that every teacher, um, in addition to teaching, also creates a classroom, a classroom culture. You create a culture in the classroom and create an environment. You know, the norms, the standards, the avira. Uh, I find for myself, um, along the lines of what you were saying, that I'm actually a very animated teacher. I get very caught up by the text, caught up by the excitement of the of the Hidushim, and I can't stand still. Um, I've gotten a lot of positive and negative feedback that uh, I move around a lot. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned the window. I tend to run to the window uh, and look out and kind of a little bit of a spiel, I would say, admit a little bit of a spiel, look out and then come back in. Uh, but it helps me kind of really um, get involved and engaged in the, in the uh, learning. And quite frankly, um, I'm uh, cognizant of the pedagogical significance of that. I want to model to my students, you know, enthusiasm, passion, and excitement, and so on and so forth. And as you mentioned in Zoom, that's impossible. In fact, um, 
I taught my evening class for the Balabatim, and as a compromise, I did it standing up. I thought, okay, fine, I'm not going to move in and out of the screen. That would be incredibly distracting, but at least I can stand and move around a little bit, and even that uh, does not translate so well in Zoom, so I'm sitting stiff in a chair, not moving around, uh, and uh, it lacks the passion. It lacks the enthusiasm, and again, it it is frustrating for myself as a learner. I want to move around. I want that chuckling, not only for davening, but also for learning. But I also lose out on the ability to model from my students what I believe is uh, a way of getting excitement, excited about these ideas. So that that's one of the downsides for sure. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, we, I wasn't planning on going here, but I've just a, a mm-hmm. little bit of an aside. This really, in a way, is, is part of the argument why for young children. In other words, you're right, both you and myself – uh, can uh, can adapt a little bit of a different format. Our students are mature enough to understand, well, it's not exactly the way it used to be in Shear. But can imagine uh, young uh, school children uh, sitting in front uh, and their teacher cannot be animated. Their teacher cannot go up to the board and show stuff. You can see why there's been there's been a desperation from all sides, left or right, uh, red state, blue state, to get back the kids to get back into into the classroom. Because mm-hmm. this format is clearly difficult for a young person who needs a very young child or a young person who needs that type of excitement and needs that type of interaction. So uh, I, I think right. we understand sure. uh, what, what's happening there. But well, let me move on to uh, to and, and that's a great update, and I'm, I'm happy. Uh, one last thing before I move on, and again, you know, it's minion and minion. If you remember at the end of that uh, our, our last pro program, uh, I talked about. Uh, letting the Zoom to even people who aren't necessarily part of your usual Chovave circle. And we talked about that because uh, I actually, you know, if, if there are places when, where I send out my, my links and they go over to hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, and, and remember at the time we're wondering, you were wondering, you weren't sure about that. You weren't sure whether you wanted new strangers uh, to parachute in. And I was saying, maybe we should, maybe this will be a way that, you know, that, that we're more well-known. In the last five months, have you have you attracted any new people uh, uh, at all? Right. Yeah. So it's it's I'm still struggling with it. Um, I teach um, this, um, like I mentioned earlier, I teach an evening shir for Balabatim. Um, it usually runs only during fall, winter, and spring. There is a hiatus during the summer uh, because usually we go to Israel. Unfortunately, because of the pandemic and other reasons, uh, my family and I couldn't go to Israel this year. We stayed here uh, in New York. So I offered a summer uh, session, a short, uh, brief session, six sessions on the history of the Akronim, which is an interesting class, which I'm happy to discuss with you another time. Um, and I was debating back and forth literally until a half an hour before this year whether I should also um, broadcast it live on Facebook. Um, uh, perhaps, you know, I do have a significant following on Facebook. And um, I have yet not resolved it because on the one hand, as you said, this is an opportunity to distribute Torah to people who otherwise might not have access to it. Uh, but on the other hand, I also believe that um, learning with people that you have a rapport with uh, is different than learning with just the general audience. And my concern is that by allowing strangers into the conversation, it will come at the expense of the experience of the regulars, of the Kavuim. The Kavuim are not just there to learn. I mean, I've learned this over my years. I taught Afiyomi for nine years in Borough Park. And what I've come to realize after a while is that for a lot of people, 
when I make the decision I want to participate in a shear, it's not purely because I want to hear Torah, but it's also because I want to participate in a community. I want to be part of a community for that hour. And as time goes by, that community, that sense of community becomes enhanced and solidified. And my fear is that bringing in strangers would take away from that. Uh, and then the question is, which is always a question of struggle with as educators. And for now, I erred on the side of uh, making it the optimal, the most optimal experience for the Kuim at the expense of not allowing in um, others that uh, would have benefited from the share as well. Yeah, I see. Well, I, I'm not surprised because we know each other a little bit. I didn't think that you would move uh, that, that, that much. And the <laughs> truth is, I, I kept it open. And, and in my experience, and again, this is really your show. I'm interviewing you. But I do want to share with you, just because to give you the, the, a little bit of the information, um, it, it turned out that on one hand, I think, and I'm going to just say a little vart here, I think COVID basically, even though it's true we don't have physical interaction, I think it shores up the old more than it does expand. In fact, not only does it shore up the old, it shears away the people who you had probably a superficial relationship with. In other words, the people who, even if they lived down the street and you always said hello, you probably didn't really interact too much with them during COVID. It it almost gives you a sense the, the, the essentials are who I'm connecting with. So I think the same thing happens by and large, people navigate towards the familiar and the people that, that mean the most to them during this period. That's in their own physical interaction. And also as teachers, it's not like, oh, now everybody is coming. It's usually, you're right, the people who, who knew you. And I think that's generally the attitude, even though technically it could be anybody because everybody can come in. So mm-hmm. I, I, on the other hand, on the other hand, there have been people who have dropped in and, and I'm going to, especially in my Talmud class that I started every day, women all over America uh, from the, from the West coast and from Yeah, so I, I found that there was a whole new group of people because of that, a whole group of people who actually we're so thankful that they had the chance to study Gemara. Who, who, Gemara was a closed book to them. So I, I, in a way, I feel, wow, this was something. These are, these are people who are, who are, who are constantly uh, thanking me about, you've, op- you've given me something I've never had. I never knew what it was. So again, I, I do believe that uh, if we can, it, it is there. Clearly, both of us, and I know you've thought a lot about this, Rabbi Sosper, about what this technology is, even beyond COVID. So why, why don't you share some of your thoughts about that with me? Sure. So, yeah, um, I've been um, in the myriad of things that I'm interested in. Um, one of the things that I'm incredibly intrigued by is the question of halach and technology, um, obviously, we have not invented that issue. That issue goes back to the Beis Yitzchak, um, as we know, who is one of the first ones to respond uh, uh, to a question about halacha and, and technology, electricity, uh, to be precise. Um, but what, what I'm interested in is the fact that I feel that it's a little bit problematic to leave the conversation completely where it was up until today, in the sense that 
the Bess Yitzchak, the Rabshlom Zalman, the Tzitz Eliezer, or and anybody else involved in the conversation about technology and halacha, we're talking about a reality that's drastically different than ours, in the sense that their reality was one where life was, so to speak, manual. Um, you would put on a switch, you would move things, and they would uh, be activated, etc., etc. And then there was the sidebar of technology. Once in a while, uh, there were things that uh, we can accomplish through technology, uh, and so on and so forth. And that's what they were talking about. Um, that's not the world we live anymore in. The world we live in today is one where technology is our whole life. Uh, that's how we communicate with people. That's how we um, cook, right? More and more we have, um, you know, smart ovens, smartphones. Um, most people, uh, especially white-collar workers, spend most of their lives, um, you know, in the, in the universe of technology. And as such, I think we need to go back and revisit um, first principles of Allah and technology. And I think that the, the pandemic has brought it home to me in this incredibly powerful way because now almost all of us live in a technological universe. Uh, we live in a world of technology. That's how we interact with people. That's how we meet people. Uh, for those of us who um, are participating in some degree or another in a Zoom davening, through technology. And I think that as a result, we need to go back and revisit uh, first principles. Uh, if you would allow me to be bold, um, you know, when people um, ask the question of whether writing on a keyboard is considered or not, right? And people get into the question of because you click on the button and the button then, you know, translates into zeros and ones, which then results in a letter on the paper. Um, to me, I think that's missing the point because siva is a etymological term. It's a terminology and it's a subjective category that is determined by what siva looks at a almost, uh, perhaps uh, nobody's an exaggeration, there's a small percentage, but almost everybody writes through a keyboard, then that's what Siva is like. And I can go on with other examples as well. Quickly, I'm going to give one other example, is the issue of Kla'achariyat. Um, I once had a shaila in my shul, um, a congregant came to me that they're looking to buy, rent an apartment, but there are no keys and locks. There's a bot uh, that you kind of keep in your pocket, and when you are close enough to the lock, the bot connects to the lock, and the door opens, and the question was what to do about Shabbos. So obviously the first um, hatter that comes to mind is um, Kla'achariyat, you're not holding the key, it's in your pocket. But then I wondered, Kla'achariyad means abnormal, means not the usual way of doing things. But if this key is meant to be used by keeping it in your pocket and moving your leg close to the door, then it's no longer Kla'achariyad. So I think that the, the, the COVID, in addition to everything else, has reinforced my sense that we need to go back to first principles uh, when it comes to the questions of technology and halacha. And of course, I raised questions, and I'm going to stop, and um, perhaps we can continue um, as we move along. It's also raised questions of pedagogy in terms of how to teach uh, these issues as a result. Yeah. I think the, the oilum is going to be very zufrieden that... Uh the uh, head of the Talmud department at Chobeve is talking about new humrus based. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you quickly a story. I'll tell you quickly Chobeve a story. We're not here. The rest of the belt is Mekel. They hold it's not a Daraisa. We're ready to take you out. 
and we're going to be we're going to right <laughs> i was once on a panel on this issue and i shared with uh, the panel and what uh, what i shared with you and the moderator said you're such a fanatic and i said thank you that was such a beautiful compliment <laughs> We have a chumra of Moroch Hashem. Exactly. But yeah, again, I know, and of course, this is obviously a very fascinating subject. And I think part of it, and this is something before COVID and before everything, I think we have seen, and Rashlom Zalman, of course, was, as you mentioned, was a classic case of it. But you could also put in Rav Neubert, and others who, mm-hmm. uh, at, at the latter part of the 20th century, became great mevinim on what, how things really worked. Uh, the Chazanisha's brilliance and halachic mastery uh, had, an, had a little chink in the armor, which was exactly how it works, right? This is where mm-hmm. Shlomo who didn't really think he was as, uh, had, had the greatness of the Chazanish, but when Shlomo Zalman argued with him, he argued with him based on a crash course and how electricity works. And, and right. I think right. in general, what we saw with many Paiskim, and, and it's interesting how it arose a lot in the field of Kashros, was a real idea of how the thing is really working. What is a circuit? What really happens? How does a piston engine work? What's really going on? As opposed to saying, the hey, look at Kurkovin, I've never seen it before. You know, exactly. There, there was exactly. an idea of actually hands-on, Machon Lev and other things like that. So, so, so I think what you're talking about is really the progression of understanding the difference between, let's say, a telephone call that you're not Makayim the Mitzvah of Bikra Chaylim or Nicham Avelim or Kriyas Megillah to what we're doing now, where it might be understanding this technology itself might be the key. Whereas we don't necessarily have to uh, create new definitions. What we need to do is understand this technology that we take for granted and understand it with a depth. And that could make us perhaps see things a little bit different. Right. Right, right. And if you allow me for 30 seconds just to piggyback on what you said, since you mentioned the Chazanish, that's a, a beautiful example for me of what, a, of what I'm thinking of, because uh, we all know, I shouldn't say we all know, but those involved in the conversation know the famous Chazanish who wants to argue that activating electricity is bona and soter. And um, let he who hasn't chuckled uh, come forth. Um, yeah, everybody kind of at least initially says bona, soter. I mean, what are you talking about? I have to say, now when you look at your computer, and if your computer is closed, it's a klutz. It's nothing. When you press that on button, all of a sudden, this is the makabapatish, this is the binyam bekelim, that all of a sudden these wires and, and, and chips and, and pieces of metal and glass have become a clee. And um, I know you've kind of uh, sympathize with the uh, quote of fanatic that I shared with you before. Call me a fanatic again. I really believe that open, starting a computer on Shabbos seriously toys with Binyam Akalim and perhaps Makabepapish because we see it b'chush. It's nothing. It's a jumble mumble of wires and garnished. And suddenly once you en- allow the technology to enter, you've made it into a clay. Right. So, but as we know, Rabbi Sosko, we're talking about the challenge now of, of teaching this, and uh, you are about to, to, to engage and, and, and share your thoughts about how this is actually changing. Because clearly, 
you're involved in, 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 in being Machanach Rabbonim, people who the door after us will be poskim and, 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 and giving hayros, and, and, and they need to have that understanding. So how, let's talk about that pedagogy, how that's going to happen. Yeah, so that's a hard one. That's a hard one. That's a really, really hard one. Um, um, I'm going to start with an analogy that perhaps might not seem relevant, but eventually will uh, become relevant, hopefully. And when I'm in a classroom and a student talks about Chia, Yochanan, Akiveger, I really lose it. I lose it in a way that's uncontrollable. (laughs) This is not Chia. This is not Yochanan. It's not your buddy. This is Reb Chia. This is Reb Yochanan. My Rebbe would mention Rebbe Kiveger and say, the Heiliger Rebbe Kiveger. There needs to be a sense of humility and awe that our generation struggles with a lot. Uh, there needs to be a sense of almost of, of, of subservience. These are the Gedolim. These are the people who knew. And, you know, me on me to disagree uh, with these Gedolim unless, you know, you've done your research. Of course, we can argue. So when it comes to teaching how to grapple with technology, this challenge becomes very acute. Because on the one hand, I want to kind of enable my students who are going to be rabbis and post one day, and even the lay, the learned lay, to be able to say, you know what, what Rabbi Shlomo Zalman said at the time is no longer true, no longer relevant. Their arguments, quite frankly, is outdated. But to allow a student, to train a student towards treating Rabbi Shlomo Zalman's ideas and attitude as outdated, potentially comes with a cost potentially means that that student no, loses um, a level of submission, a level of humiliation towards the Shlomo Zalman. And my question is how to come to balance that. How do I enable them to kind of say, you know what, we need to go back to first principles on this issue, but not in a way that would diminish the need for respect the deference and their herits for these gedolim. To me, like the vigilu bir ada, or what I tell my students all the time, I tell my students all the time, my classroom culture is reverential irreverence. I want you to be irreverent to the tradition. I want you to be irreverent to the postgame, but reverentially. Do that with humility, do that with their herits. And when I invite my students to critique, you know, um, a, a genre of Allah when it comes to uh, the question of Allah and technology, then I become um, all the more concerned of, about being able to strike the proper balance. Which I think, again, the diarists have always uh, uh, struggled with this. You know, Zinitziv uh, speaks about in his Hakdama to Shirashir, and he talks about how the Dora Chodosh always is, 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 has a sense of dismissiveness towards the, the previous door. There's always a sense that they didn't get it right. I think that, uh, and this is going to always be true. Uh, obviously, that's why we, we want, as you say, humility and reverence. And, and, but I think one of the things that can be done, and I, I know you're, I think we're on the same page on this, is to zero in on where the technological mistake that had to happen because of the knowledge of that period, and it was the best that they could, and then revel in the brilliance of what it was. So even mm-hmm. though mm-hmm. at the heart of it, there is a certain factual error or a change that has occurred, marvel at what this man is doing with it. He isn't mm-hmm. just discovering that there's, the moon is made out of green cheese. 
Look, mm-hmm. look at the way the ideas string together. Look at the brilliance of the, of, of the conception. Look at the way he's now adapted it and connected it to other areas. And I think right. that is something where we actually can stand on the shoulders of those giants. We can stand on that because they give us the approach. We can right. also see the quality of their thinking. We can see how sharp they are, how, 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 how meticulous they were, and how it was good, solid thinking. Despite the fact that there was an essential uh, reality that was unknown to them, and in that way we're no—they're better than we are <laughs> because we wouldn't—we wouldn't be able to do what they did. Okay, we happen to live a hundred years later. Technology has advanced. They're, they're right. We have right. We have a different assumption. So I think that's really the model to recognize, like the Mitzvah says, that the Dor Hakadosh is always going to want to be able to to sow its oats. It's always going to want to be able to say, "What are we about?" On the other hand, to really, to really, like you say, <laughs> you know, uh, to give them that uh, irreverent way. I just also add, you know, that we both come from sort of a chassidish avvelt. Uh, both of us, you. You, you, of yep. course, everybody knows that. My father was a uh, Ben by the Sokol of Rebbe, who was an anical of the Kotzker. And uh, the Kotzker always said that when Abaye Verova, you have to picture Abaye Verova standing. That their mom is here in front of you. Now, uh, what I would, oh, that you're, you're, you're saying that they have to imagine them uh, mamish in front of you. Like, um, that's what the Kotzker said. The Kotzker said, okay. when I say Abaye Verova, Abaye Verova right here. I see them in front of me. Rav Salvechik said something similar, of course, when he talked about uh, when he gives Shear, how the Rishayim all come in, you know, they're all here, they're alive. I think one of the things, and you talked about giving history, one of the things that I do, which I think can help here, is a tfisa for our teachers about who these people were. Um, uh, I, I, there's a, the most popular, I, I, did a, I did a podcast with him, one of the most popular Magide Shear on the internet has to try to get the daf in very quickly. So I asked him, do you talk about the fact that this is one of the few times in Shas you see this type of machlekes? Do you talk about the fact that, oh, it's interesting that it's Rav speaking to Rav Yosef and not Abaya? Do you ever mention the fact that, that, that oh, it, that, this is, that this is Yener's son? I think part of how we can do it in, in Gemara and when we teach Rav Zalman or Rav Waldenberg or, or even Rav Shmelkes, the Beis Yitzchak, is to know who they were and to let our students know the significance of them, not the two-line biography in Wikipedia, but also to really, when we present these people, make them alive, allow them to live, and then you're, they're going to have the proper COVID, even though you're going to end up being chaylik. <laughs> you, might, you might say, we're, we're going to pass differently, but boy, they're going to appreciate who these people were. Anyway, that's just a little feedback. Yes, yes, yes. I, I will just, uh, interesting that you mentioned the Kotzker, um, because I thought you were going to mention a different quote from the Kotzker, which is also relevant here. The part that I had from the Kotzker is that, I think it was the Kotzker, or perhaps it was someone else. The story goes that someone came to the Kotzker and said, oh, I found out, I think, what uh, Abaya had for breakfast. I, I, I'm paraphrasing, something along the lines. And the Kotzker gets enraged and said, Abaya Verava weren't people 
people. There were two Amude Eish. One of them was called Abaya. One of them was called Rava. And I frankly couldn't care less what they had for breakfast. And I think that's the counterpoint to what you're saying. And once again, I struggle because I do a class, as I mentioned to you before our conversation, on the intellectual history of the Achronim. And I keep on going back and forth between sharing the biography, who they were, who their family was, who their children were, what would they care about. And also presenting them as transcending their biographies, being ideas, being, you know, part of the Matan Torah Shasheret. And, and it's a balance. It's a balance. It's a balance. But we risk, if we don't do it this way, Rabbi Soskin, we risk the fact of homogenizing everything. And, and we also stop the possibility of emulation. Uh, part of the greatness is to see how this person with this type of personality, Rob with his marital issues, uh, you know, Revermia with his ultra inquisitiveness, and, and and others were actually you're right they do become sinoyim of 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 Kim Chaim, but 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 the neshama is neslavish in such an, a unique emotional aspect of every which is individuality of every human being. And that, and that gives right. everyone a sense that even you, with all your jukas and all your mishagasim, could also be a keli of... Correct, keli. correct, correct. But, look, yeah, no, it's a balance. It's a balance. It's a hard balance. It's mm-hmm. a hard balance. Uh, I've been in Chinuch uh, for, uh, I think, close to 30 years now. And I would love to say that I've mastered it, uh, but I have not. Well, again, it's always, well, like I said, I think you're always welcome to... Uh, to, to schmooze our eye, and we can always talk about that. <laughs> and like you said, it really depends on the audience. Sometimes right. when you're dealing with a child or, or, or a student who's not familiar, you sometimes have to say, I'm not going to, this kid, if I, if I keep on saying heilig, heilig, he's going to be turned off. But eventually he will see that heilig, Hopefully. Right. See, but, but I, 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 I don't know if you have to wrap up, but I will say something about that, which is interesting, is that I feel that you and I have in common that we went to a very a Haredi um, school system, a Haredi education. So the, the reverence, right, the, the, the awe is built in. And now we can also kind of modify that a little bit, right? When, when we say, uh, we say that after 20 and 30 years of being inculcated in this incredible appreciation for who Kivega was, a great appreciation for who they were, I'm concerned a little bit for kids and students who grew up in a non-Orthodox context, where the, the, the Avira is not that level of reverence, not that level of awe, right? And I come from an academic context where it's the exact opposite. Um, rather, we jump too soon to teaching them the Kvoda Bim Koma Munach. And when is the right time? When are they ready to move to that next phase of Rabbi Kiveger or Plemez Alman, Kvoda Bim Koma Munach? But I'm not sure if that's correct. And, and, and I'm afraid of, again, erring on either side. Well, I, the answer, I believe, and I was in that system, I taught in SAR, and in SAR, uh, the, as you know, you taught there as well, we both have taught there, uh, the standard in many schools, like Ramaz and other places, which has great intellectual thinkers, children who are, who are going to become great thinkers and great contributors, they are used to thinking about Rabadim, they're th- they're, the, they're, there's a sense of giving the students empowerment. In other words, here's the piece of, here's the Dafa Gemara, and let's see what the Amaroyim uh, or Makalkal, what the Tesefta really was originally, right? And let's see how, because of, and this was a, a teaching trick to, to let the students see that the, this is a, di- there's a dynamism and, and they could relate to. 
I was, mm-hmm. I, I personally felt a little bit of, I wouldn't say abhorrent to that, but I felt that, 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 you know, the bricker of, you know, uh, he could be, after he went also, as you know, David Alais Livni, he could get there, at, Lieberman could get there after they had actually been, like you say, had the, the typical normal chinuch. Therefore, they could rise to the level. I'm sure Shaul Lieberman had the biggest covet for uh, the Rishonim and Achronim that he had such encyclopedic knowledge of, more than some yachts who doesn't even know uh, how to learn. He, he had the greatest reverence and understanding of those people were. Mm-hmm. But it came out of that. I think part of the problem is, is that we try to empower these kids. But, but, but I don't know if that's going to change. We might be uh, stabbing at windmills in terms of trying to change that. The modern educational system somehow gravitates towards empowerment to the point where they don't necessarily have the proper COVID uh, that we would say uh, allows them to appreciate it. And I don't know. And the question is how to do both. How to do both. I'm not, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a fan of empowerment, empowering students. I think that a lot of good can come from that, of the ability to really probe first principles and it has tremendous educational and also spiritual value. I think that it gives the student a sense of ownership of their Avodah Hashem, of their director but it can come at the cost of humility, awe, and reverence. And our challenge is to strike that balance. It's, it's really somewhat similar. I know I'm sort of like dominating here when I shouldn't, but it's sort of... No, 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 no. It's uh, part of the reason I agree to this is because I want to hear you. Let's be honest. <laughs> part of it is, as you know, from Yisrael Salanter, you know, again, we talk about Iluyim and we talk about the Chazadish or Shalvaz Halman. Uh, there's no question about it. And you can see this from his Igris and you can see this from his articles in Tuna. Uh, that are somewhat collected in Or Yisrael. Salant, or Yisrael Salanter, I used to say that in SAR, I was the Salanter of the Akiva. <laughs> okay. There's Akiva, there's Riverdale. I represent right. the Salanter team. But okay. my, my point is, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter had a similar approach. He said, I know the Pilpulam aren't MS. I know that what's going on at this age, and maybe, I don't know if your students are still somewhat like that, but definitely in the age of 13, 14, 15, where the kids were, were metumotzach, it's, he knew the pilpul wasn't right. He knew that it wasn't Simzach. Mm-hmm. But if, we're, if we don't do pilpul, he went against the grain. Then, like you say, the student gets turned off. The student doesn't feel he has power. But mm-hmm. Musser, with Hadracha, you could go from the Mafalpul to the Glata Cup. Because, yep. and, and I think that's part of what we've got to do here in terms of uh, of, of, of teaching in, in the new style as well. Well, I think we've gone <laughs> we've gone from soup to nuts here today. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yes, I said, uh, hopefully in five months from now, uh, we'll be able to... We'll uh, check in again. We'll talk about... Maybe meet, meet for coffee. <laughs> we'll see what, yeah. Thank you, have a good Shabbos. And this has been... Thank you, Rabbi Sosker This has been On Principle. And hopefully we'll see you soon with a new episode. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.